0: With a storied career in the gaming and emerging technology industries, our next guest is leveraging his expertise and passion for creating game-changing virtual reality experiences to level up the fields of neuro and behavioral science. Amir Bozogzadeh, CEO of Virtual Leap, joins us to discuss how his team is advancing virtual reality gaming and artificial intelligence to develop high-quality cognitive assessment and ability training to aid patients with specific brain health issues like Alzheimer's and beyond. Additionally, Amir shares his story of becoming a startup founder, what the journey has been like, and the advice he has for others who are passionate about creating innovative technologies and solutions. Join us for Amir's empowering story on how he is improving brain health with virtual reality as we continue to work together to move the health of our communities forward. Let's go. Amir, welcome to our podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. It's truly a pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me. Well, given your passion for emerging tech and spatial computing, which led you to create a VR startup that unlocks neuroscience in order to detect and delay the early onset of cognitive illnesses like Alzheimer's, I am really looking forward to our conversation today. But before we discuss your amazing and inspiring journey, a bit of housekeeping... While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli" on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, I'm here. It's almost time for our community to learn how VirtueLeap is combining neuroscience and virtual reality to help increase attention levels and address cognitive illnesses, disorders, and learning challenges. But first, what's that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? You
1: know, when you're dealing with this, these monolith structures, such as the healthcare platform and the healthcare industry, it can be really daunting and intimidating. And people are always trying to find the right idea and they miss out on the okay ideas that can get them going. So what my advice is to start anywhere and let the river meander you with a lot of some lessons and learnings that will give you the toolkits bit by bit, gradually, in order to find your place in the sector and where you can have the biggest impact. So start anywhere and start
0: as early as possible because you can't start early enough and you can have an impact if you just get going. And I Amir mean, I love that because that's one thing that I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs and startup founders do they will try to create something and then go and find a home for that technology right to your point let the river take you so ie let the market tell you what the problem is so, you know be very attuned ear to the ground listen to what the needs are in the marketplace and then go solve for them but where the real sweet spot is is solve for the things that you are passionate about as well. Would that be correct? Have you found that along your journey?
1: Yeah, it's like there's a magnetic aspect to all of this. And there's a magnetic charge to you and what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, what your fingerprint of a soul is and what is charged to be interested and passionate for. And sometimes people are looking for that answer right away, whereas they have to give themselves the space and the time to let that resonance take them where they need to be. But you have to start somewhere to get there. And it's not going to happen instantly. You have to give the space for that to happen, for the magic to manifest.
0: Well, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received in my journey is start before you're ready. Exactly what you're saying, right? We're getting ready to celebrate two years with this podcast. And I had no idea what the heck I was doing when I hit that record button for the first time. So I started before I was ready. And now here we are having global health tech innovation leaders like you on the podcast, now a nationally ranked healthcare innovation podcast. So I couldn't agree more with you. Start before you're ready. So Amir, thank you for sharing that one piece of advice. I love it. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm looking forward to discussing your wonderful work and journey with Virtually after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, CirrusMD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward to virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event. Visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right. We are back with Amir Bozorgzadeh, founder of Virtually. Amir, first of all, thank you again for your sage advice on the front end of this podcast. I couldn't agree with you more. Thanks again for sharing. We have a lot to cover today. You guys have been at it now for several years with your startup. Obviously, there's some pivots and there's never a straight line with any startup And the founding story of it. We're going to discuss that a bit, kind of where you guys have been, where you're at today, successes you're seeing in the marketplace. And then of course, where you see virtual reality going just in mass for the industry, where do you see your technology helping take that journey with us and for us, I believe this is going to be a huge, huge winner for the healthcare industry and the health of our community members across the world. Then of course, we're going to ask you, hey, how can we be helping you out? Then, you know, be able to connect with you online as well. So we'll ask for those and then we'll get you out of here. But let's first rewind that clock a bit, Amir. How did this all get together in the first place? I know you've been a serial entrepreneur even before virtually. Give us a little bit of that founder's journey and then we'll take it from there.
1: Thanks, Mike. My background is as a market researcher back in Canada, then a games publisher out in Dubai. I did launch some social ventures and dabble through that territory of having an impact on my community. And it's always been my mission to find a way to reconcile the gaming industry with serious impact sort of ventures, I always believed that was a ultimate and inevitable conclusion to the final evolution of games for good. And so what I did was in 2015, I began writing for VentureBeat and TechCrunch specifically in VR and on VR and AR and trying to figure out what is this new technology, where I thought a lot of that intersection would actually happen. And I found after writing dozens and dozens of articles that there's only two critical use cases for virtual reality. And it's either in the healthcare sector or the education sector. Back then, games for virtual reality as the next generation gaming device was the main thing that journalists were tooting. But I didn't see that and didn't believe that. And in the last few years, you've just seen all of these amazing applications start to come out of the experimental and R&D labs of different organizations from automotive and airlines to medical and so on. And and at the same time, companies like ours since 2018 have started dabbling in areas where we thought we could try to create innovation that would create the bridge into the healthcare sector and so on. One of the things we began doing in 2018 when we first launched was create algorithms, what we call biometric algorithms, that could actually infer the emotional state of a user in a virtual reality setting. So are they stressed what is their emotional inclination, these kinds of kind of insights that would never be possible before in other types of devices. Because in VR, you are strapped into an experience that is ecologically valid and multisensory and is actually triggering your autonomic nervous system into believing that the experience is real. So there's a lot of emotional engagement and data that's coming out of your state in these experiences. So we were creating these algorithms and we were creating at the same time these games that could actually test our work. And what we found by May 2019 was that the games themselves were more in need by the market than the actual algorithms we were creating. And so we pivoted into a VR brain training company that has been creating a library of what we are essentially doing is translating neuropsychological assessment tools into these gamified experiences that in a few minutes assesses a particular cognitive function. And so we've have created 14 games to date, each of which assesses and trains one particular cognitive function, like let's say information processing and memory and problem solving, but also because of VR, motor control, spatial orientation, spatial audio awareness. And in fact, we're targeting not just seven of these kind of categories, but the subcategories. We actually are so niche that we can actually create games that test your working memory or your short-term memory or your long-term memory. And we get really deep into this and we we have created created a game scoring system called Enhanced Performance Index that gives you an objective score per game. So we launched this app about a year ago, we have about 26,000 only registered users. It's free to download on the VR app stores right now. I really encourage people to test it out for themselves and give us some feedback. But at the moment, we've just begun commercializing and really accelerating all our plans at the moment.
0: And we're going to go into a little bit more as to what exactly is Leap. you know, all those different markets you're serving, where you see things heading and all of that. But I still want to stay on kind of the history lesson, not just with your own journey, but even just the industry at large. Amir, is this still early on? Is virtual reality augmented reality? Is this still early on in regards to its life cycle as an industry and technology? Where are we current state with all of it? If
1: you look at like last year, of course the pandemic has accelerated things. It's been like a sort of a catalyst. The only silver lining is greasing the wheels of the regulatory bodies, making a lot of stubborn people in, in industries across healthcare less stubborn, so to speak. The FDA just created the category Medical Extended Reality last year. I think seven months ago, they gave the first breakthrough designation to a VR company in California, Applied VR, for a pain management VR solution. That was just seven months ago. So the writing on the wall is the trend has begun, the wave has begun, and I think the pandemic has really accelerated what's happening. I would not say that we are early from the point of view of clinical indication and validation. There's been about 8,000 studies to date showing the healthcare applications of VR. A great starting point is the seminal book by Brennan Spiegel of Cedar Sinai who published that last year VRX but we're not early in terms of knowing that this technology has game changing critical use cases in healthcare we are early in reconciling the creator community with the powers that be in the status quo.
0: And in regards to the end user as well, the consumer, Amir, you know, I believe it personally, I think it's a fallacy, but you hear this a lot like, oh, older adults, they're not going to use the iPads. They're not going to use the smartphone, you know, smart technology. They're not going to use the wearables. What have you been seeing? What have your colleagues been seeing in regards to the older adult population and the use of VR? My last article for VentureBeat was
1: exactly on the surprising news that older adults in fact, the early adopters of VR and not directly them they themselves, but the senior living communities and nursing homes, they have been using VR. It's been increasing and increasing every month since the last two years where we are seeing them initially use it for, for example, isolation therapy. You know, isolation can dramatically accelerate cognitive decline. It's worse than, I think, two packs of cigarettes per day being too isolated and without social contact. And so they started using it for this critical care use case where give them a VR device and let them jump into a reality that allows them to feel like they're walking on the beach in Hawaii or, I don't know, go into a fantastic, mesmerizing experience of medicine meditation, but it's shown a a really amazing use case right there and then. And then what happens in they have the device, they can start to explore other types of applications for, you know, pain management that, like I mentioned, we have types of cognitive behavioral modification, uh, helping with addictions, helping with all sorts of things that are not just distractive and entertainment based. But now that you have the device in these senior living communities, they have this portal for so many other things, which is the entry point for companies like ourselves.
0: And last question, then I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask for that elevator pitch in regards to virtually. But one last question, Amir, in regards to cost, right? We've seen technology just in mass, you know, come way down in cost. And then that makes it available to the masses, right? When we start thinking about the Medicaid population here in the United States, being able to serve them and get technology into their hands that's affordable and useful. Amir, where are we at on that life cycle in the VR space? Is this becoming more affordable and more accessible to the masses? Where's the status of the union there?
1: If you look three years ago, the headsets were Twice the price. Last year, the best headset by, you know, Facebook, Oculus, it was the Quest, and it was $400 for the headset. That's half the price. This year, you got the Quest 2, which is 100 bucks cheaper. So it's 300. I mean, how much cheaper does it have to get before you understand this application, which is still half the price to my iPhone is no longer a barrier. Of course, the bulk is getting smaller, it's getting more comfortable, and that will keep on happening. I think with the introduction inevitably of 5G, we're going to take a lot of that processing power that's in these headsets, move it to the edge server and make all that processing not have to happen on your head. And that will make even slimmer and lighter form factors. So what we're noticing, with the VR sector and to some extent, the AR sector is rapid iteration on the hardware side and rapid iteration of the price point side. So this is the time to get ready if this is an industry application that, for example, any stakeholder who's listening right now is curious in because it is going way too fast for you to make the decision six months from now or a year from now. The writing is on the wall.
0: I love it. So, hey, dive in. Start before you're ready, right? Now's the time. Get in there and start using the technology. It's a beautiful time to be in the space. So, you teed it up perfectly, Amir. You are one of the leaders in this space. You've been in it for a number of years. You got a very fast-growing startup virtually. You're part of the startup health community, which we're very close with over here. Unity Stokes was a recent guest on our podcast, an amazing community of health transformers globally, and you're one of them. So, it's a special group, that's for sure, And it means that you guys are really getting after changing and reimagining global health. So with that, I'm teeing you up. Give us that elevator pitch for Virtually.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Virtually is essentially making available neuropsychological assessments in a very accessible and non-invasive way for anyone to basically carve out 15 minutes of their day and be able to play a few fun closed loop games that allows them to know where they are at in a certain particular cognitive function. For example, how is my memory? How's my problem solving? How am I doing? How's my sleeping affecting my cognitive functions? Can I just play a little gym for the mind, a little cognitive workout every day and get a touch point of how I'm doing? It's the same thing as going to the gym for the physical body, for your physical health. We've created a solution that allows you to be mentally fit.
0: Now, in regards to the end user and how they get their hands on the technology, Amir, of course, we have some of the brightest, most passionate minds in the healthcare industry tuning into this podcast, administrators on the health system side and as well as executives on the payer side. What does this look like in regards to patients? Are doctors prescribing it? Is it a consumer you know, cash purchase? What does that look like in regards to getting the technology in the end user's hands?
1: Sure. I mean, it took us about a year and a half to build up a sufficiently sized battery or library of these gamified neuropsychological assessment tools. And we began about three months ago, ready now to say goodbye to the MVP stage, the beta stage. We're not, we're well past that. And we have clinical partners across the US and Europe, where we create these clinical protocols for specific therapeutic areas, for example, cognitive decline or autism, learning challenges, traumatic brain injury. We work with them to get those studies into on their way so that in, you know, within two years, we can have those come out of fruition and then apply for regulatory approval so that we can be then validated by the authorities like the FDA or DIGA in Germany, and then ultimately be available at clinical care sites and a little bit later than that also be validated as a digital therapeutic that can be reimbursable by payers. But between now and the two years where these studies have to go out, we're very much focused on working with bringing on board more of these research partners, as well as being focused on some of the non-healthcare applications, commercial opportunities like training and education and so on. We have to, as a company that is so science-driven and research-driven, have to be patient and allow the studies validate us first. And that is more or less the situation for most healthcare companies in virtual reality.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that, Amir. I want to dive in on that a little bit in regards to training and education. What does that mean? Are you guys talking about healthcare workers? Or are you talking outside of healthcare? What's training and education mean to you guys?
1: From the point of view of education and training, which of course is a really broad category. For example, we're working with one of the headset manufacturers as a partner where they are focusing on their headset to be applied for training factory floor workers or, you know, astronauts on their way to Mars and they need to be taking care of their cognitive health and just making sure that a solution like ours can be a companion diagnostic that gives their administrators and then they themselves, a little bit of understanding of how their cognitive performance is changing or staying the same over time. But education and training can also go into private high schools and K-12 institutes, human performance programs at big Fortune 500 organizations that want to offer for their HR point of view, a type of solution that gives a psychometric test of sorts to their employees and showing them how they're, you know, where's their Proficiencies and deficiencies and where can with the use of games can you develop and strengthen those
0: challenging points? So it is quite broad. yeah, understandable and there's a lot of use cases in there for sure there's no doubt about it. And so Amir, where do you see things heading as well with the technology? you mentioned yes, you know there's two year kind of lag in regards to being in the industry, gaining that research, gaining that knowledge base, gaining the data to be able to then publish and all of that good stuff and then be able to prescribe of course. Where do you see things heading even longer term, not only for you guys at Virtually, but the industry writ large as well, right? A lot of things are changing. We've seen some big advancements with the pandemic, right? Some of those phoenixes that have risen from the pandemic ashes, telehealth vaccine with mRNA technology and otherwise. Where do you see things heading again, not only for your company, but for the industry writ large?
1: Well, see, now the headsets themselves are remarkable. They collect, like I mentioned before, ridiculous amounts of data about the human condition that have never been possible before. We're talking volumetric data sets that capture an order of magnitude more data about the human condition. And one of the headset manufacturers, for example, HP, has just introduced a new headset two months ago called the OmniSet. It has biosensors integrated into the headset that can track your pupil dilation, your heart rate variability, your skin conductivity soon. They use their AI learning systems to actually take those biosensors and calculate your cognitive load or your focus levels. We're starting to read the human condition more and more. And these devices, virtual reality devices, are quite unique in being able to capture more data. Than ever possible before in order to understand certain conditions like Alzheimer's or cognitive disorders, things that I think we just haven't been able to approach in the past because of a lack of something or not an ability to bring together enough different kind of disparate kind of types of data points together. And so when I look at VR. We're looking at a paradigm shift and the application for pain management or the application for isolation therapy or the application for desensitization therapy of phobias. This is where VR does things that is pretty much magical. And I do see it evolving in those applications by industry leaders in the next few years, primarily because I think the pandemic has made us so much more telehealth oriented, so much more training oriented. So they're forced to take advantage of these opportunities and they can't say that this is not validated anymore because the studies are just coming out one after the other, not just in the U.S., but across the globe, vindicating the use cases across all those domains. So... VR should not also be separated from AR. They are two siblings on the same spectrum. One is in fantasy environment. The other one is in the real world where the same spatial computing experience is projected. And so when you look at you know applications like ours or any application in the VR, you should also remember that eventually they're also going to migrate and move into AR once that is readily available and when 5G also makes it possibility of AR being pervasive. But these technologies are... next generation of computing in general, but they're going to dramatically change the way we interface with a lot of the content that we currently have confined in these really strange boxes. I I just want to say one thing, the older adults and the assumption that we have about them not being interested in type of high technology is actually virtual reality is designed to be an imitation of the real world. It's based on the same UX in virtual reality as the native UX of being a human being. Whereas, you know, smartphones is where the alien technology comes in and figuring out how these things work, each one kind of different than the other. VR has always been much more intuitive from the very get-go. And I think once the devices are pervasive enough and available enough, you're going to see mainstream adoption across the board. And for the healthcare sector, it's just going to be life-changing in many, many applications.
0: Well, what I also love too, you hit on it, right? You talked about the pandemic in regards to telehealth, teleservices, all that. Some of my friends in the industry keep saying, meet the members where they're at, right? Meet the patients where they're at and where they want to be, right? No longer do we need a patient to drive four hours for a quick checkup with Dr. Amir. That's just so antiquated, right? And so when we start thinking about delivering care at home or wherever that patient wants to be, could even be in their car or at their office or in the park, whatever that might look like. Do you also see VR playing part of that as well, right? So a physician can prescribe VR to the patient in their own home setting. Do you see that as a big movement as well?
1: Absolutely. For example, Just to plug in something about us, You know, we're launching a a companion application that's available on your smartphone or your iPad that a doctor can use called the remote control. And it allows them to remote navigate in real time the experience of someone in the VR application without them having to ever remove their headset or they can do it from across the globe. As long as you have a Wi-Fi access, you can in real time, not only navigate the whole experience of the patient or the user, but also be able to actually see what they're doing with their arms. Again, that volumetric data, they can see if they're using their right arm wrong, if it's a first stroke, suffer. Then they're they're seeing how their hand comparisons are happening, all that data in real time with this new app that we're launching next month. So that kind of app, that kind of technology, the connection between the cross-platform ways of using telehealth features in that way, it's going to make VR really, really participate in the telehealth explosion of applications.
0: Oh, I love it. It's so exciting to me, this is where things need to go. It's going to happen whether the old guard in healthcare likes it or not. This is going to happen. So be ready for it because I believe this is the wave of the future and it needs to happen, right? If we start thinking about bending cost curve as well, making health and healthcare affordable, these are some of the things that we need to keep pushing forward and being passionate and dedicated to. So thank you. I can tell you're fired up about it, Amir. This is a good thing. You know, Keep that passion alive as we continue to rethink where healthcare is being delivered. Very exciting. I want to flip the script on you a little bit, my friend. We want to be able to help you out. So what's one problem, need, or question that you have that our community rallied around this podcast can be helping you with?
1: Sure. So we're actually raising our series A, a 10 million series A round. We just closed 1.4 million in initial commercial sales. And so we want to use this series A to now take our learnings from those sales opportunities and grow our team, particularly on all the missing talent we have Across some of the science and development side, but also build up a sales team that is going to be focusing on some of these opportunities like senior living communities and education training. And we would love to hear from any investors or corporate side partners that would potentially like to work with us moving forward.
0: I love it. Well, be able to help you out, we need to be able to get a hold of you. So, where are some contact points online that we can get a hold of you at?
1: So, my personal email is amir at com. Our website com has of course, a lot of information about our company. You can find us on all the social media channels available with uh, the keyword Virtue Leap on Twitter, Virtue leap on Facebook and LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my personal favorite. I, I think I'm the biggest power users for the last decade. So if you ping me on there and add me on LinkedIn, I will happily accept and start our conversation there as well. But please feel free to email me as well as am- Amir at Virtually.com.
0: I will plus one Amir's comments on the LinkedIn side. Matter of fact, that's how we got connected. Amir's based over in a beautiful country, Portugal, and we connected on LinkedIn and here we are now recording a podcast together. So don't be shy, hit him up over on LinkedIn as well. But all of those contact points that he mentioned are in the episode notes. Simply scroll down in your podcast player and click on through to get a hold of Amir and the Leap Team. Of course, you can always head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for this episode where you can also leave comments, feedback, suggestions, or Otherwise, for Amir and his team, again, PassionatePioneers.com. All right, Amir, we're going to start winding it down so we can get you back to continue to push the virtual Leap story and journey forward. But I have a fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I just
1: can't imagine anything other than merging your passion in terms of hobbies with something that you can apply into the real world of work. And once I found that, it's ultimately not even a decision. It's just your mission driven to the core.
0: I absolutely love it. And I am fully on board with that. As I tell many, many people, what I do to me is not work at all. I, absolutely love. And more importantly, I'm honored and humbled to be able to do what I do every day. I get to hang out and spend time with leaders like you that feel the same. It is truly an honor and is so humbling to be able to do that and be able to find that. So I couldn't agree more with you, my friend. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for taking a pit stop to be on our podcast to share more about your journey and what's happening in the Virtue Leap Camp. Of course, keep us posted. Keep our community posted what's happening. We're rooting you on. But for now, thank you so much for being with us today, Amir.
1: Thank you, Mike. It's been absolutely awesome being on your podcast.